All right. Welcome back, folks, to Black Hoodie Alchemy. Uh, I'm your host, Anthony Tyler, as always. Uh, we're here on the Fringe FM, and we actually have a guest with us tonight. Uh, the first guest on the show on our little pirate radio broadcast, um, Mr. Eric Miller. It is Miller, right? Not Millar. It is Millar. It is, it Millar. is Millar. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I meant to ask you before recording, but now we're just going to roll with that. Millar. Um, cool. Right on. All right. And um, I've heard you um, call yourself um, affectionately the, a, a garbage wizard of sorts before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you have a fascination with uh, using the mundane for uh, extraordinary purposes. And um, I can very much relate to that myself. And uh, for anybody that doesn't know any listeners, um, Eric actually um, illustrated the the cover of my book, Hunt Manual, uh, 21st Century Demonology and Fortiana. And there's a little bit of like comic book horror element um, threaded through that a little bit. And as soon as it started to kind of develop naturally in the writing, I, uh, uh, Eric was, uh, the, really one of the only guys I could think of. Um, it, he has that, that backbone of comic book, um, uh, culture that you could tell he was inspired by very similar to me, but, um, and hey, Eric, you're really good with your words too. You're an excellent writer. Um, so, Thank you. Um, yeah, hats off to you there. But um, and I actually I don't think we've had this conversation before, but um, I actually grew up um, like being really obsessed with comic book illustrations. And I would I would like could take printer paper and I would make my own comic books and I had my own characters. And I had like a 20 pay, uh, issue series that I think my mom still has somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I got really into like the. Uh, you know, creating like, I don't even know what you would call it, but, you know, using the shapes to create the outlines of the, the, the hero structure, like the actual body structure and things and um, all the little. Oh yeah. 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 Like yeah. Yeah. The uh, illustration so, structures. A- absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I even got one of those wooden dummies and things. And uh, so I used to, yeah, like comic books for me, but so it run deep, but um, um, I just, and I, I, I'm still pretty decent at illustrations, but there was something there, some technical aspect to it that just never quite clicked the same way that words did for me. But, um, you, you're, I, I'm not trying to like, um, you know, toot your horn too much, man, but you're, I, I, I'm, I've, I've always been really impressed with your, with your work. It's, uh, yeah, you, you, you have a, you have a very cohesive vision. Like you have something that's very much yours. And, uh, and so I invite anybody listening to go uh, check out Outlet Press. That's uh, where Eric puts up all his work. And you do, uh, you have like written work, you have, uh, you, you do combinations of your written work and your magical philosophies with like uh, divination tools that you create as well. Like what were the, I ended up gifting the dice that I got from you to a friend of mine. What were those again? What was the name of those? Uh, the tethered elements yeah yeah that was a fun one um you have you have like the impossible game you have the uh disruption generator um so any listeners go go do an eric millar rabbit hole um uh before (laughs) after listening to this there's and uh so and a lot of the backbone of what we're going to be talking about here is the uh the like the second volume of the no gods but my own series um, right, right. The, uh, yeah. the four color grimoire. Yes, yes. And it's all about um, a very studious, um, like, dare I say, disciplined look into um, 
esoteric philosophies and like genuine comic book culture because before i just let you run with uh with some basic questions um i'll give a, a little bit more legwork for any listeners and say like you know this I, I i i genuinely don't mean this in any sort of pretentious way but uh eric and i have uh very much grown up on the the era of comic books before the big boom you know like eric's older than i um but you know we're still like um we're we're very much cut from the same cloth and you know if, if there's there's a whole swath of um of comic book fans like genuine comic book fans out there these days that only got into comic books because the movies were 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 so popular and uh, that's definitely not the case for us. So I, and, and we oh, yeah. were just talking about before the recording, how um, the characters in and of themselves are so great. And uh, there's, there's a lot of value there, but so much about the culture itself um, is, is just not, it's kind of swept under the rug these days, you know, Joss Whedon's cool and all, but what about like Jack Kirby and, and Todd McFarlane and uh, you know, just a, you, you know, a, a lot more of the obscure artists than even I do. So like, uh, what was the guy I recognized his work when I Googled it, but uh, Veitch. Is that oh, you... Rick Veitch. Yeah. 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 yeah that guy. Fascinating rabbit hole. That guy's story is. Oh, that guy is amazing. His yeah. dream comics are some of the best comics I have ever seen. And he's like the only comic book artist I know of that actually got like, basically certified a dream expert by a couple of like the the highest dream research groups in america wow wow that's fascinating yeah and what were some of the titles that he worked on uh brat pack um he worked on swamp thing with alan moore right he did he was one of the illustrators on alan moore's run and he took over the writing duties after alan moore left oh wow okay i i had to quit I, uh, I refreshed myself on Brat Pack as well when I was reading up on um, the, the Four Color Grimoire that you sent me. And oh, man, like, so that's actually one that I haven't read myself. But being a fan of comics, it's always one that you hear about, like as some like monolith, like it's uh, some yeah. integral piece of comic culture. And man, it is brutal. It's uh, yeah. the dark side of, uh, of superheroes and their their like handler training like um like almost like mk ultra breaking of uh sidekicks and turning them into heroes uh yeah dark (laughs) that's fascinating stuff yeah i mean i hate to use the term grooming but they like with the uh, with the the sudden influx of the use of the word but it's definitely about grooming yeah 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 and that's the that's the thing that always um with Today, it's so much and it's for the better in the long run, but it's so much easier to create different medias and like flesh out stories. And, you know, you could create a short film like with your with your your phone these days. And all it really yeah. takes is is time and effort and attention to detail. But uh, for the longest time, comic books were sort of this vein for these really verbose and like really heady stories a lot of times uh that just didn't really have an outlet anywhere else in uh in culture so and you know comic books largely started out as uh propaganda you know you think of things like captain america and wartime efforts and whatnot even superman for that matter but uh um it seems like between the propaganda and there was always some propaganda throughout but between the initial propaganda stages and the movie stage that it came to these days 
there was this fantastic middle ground of just the like of uh, big wigs could see that there wasn't there was money to be made in it but they didn't really get it so they just uh they just threw money at some really wild artists and and um uh, writers that were willing to just go anywhere with these topics and Okay. Um, yeah, there's some of the, some of the, like people would just snub their nose cause it's a comic book, but I've read some of the greatest stories of all time in comic books and graphic novels. Oh, for sure. For like, sure. It's, it's epic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, like the crow by James O'Barr, one of the most, um, impactful, uh, reads of any kind of read to this day for me. Oh yeah. And, uh, James O'Barr basically taught himself how to make comics, making that book. And it's, it's just deep and potent. Yeah. Talk about shadow work, like actual visceral shadow work. Um, the crow yeah. and uh, what that served like therapeutically for, for that guy writing it in his life. But um, yeah, um, let's get in. I, I want to get into uh, some of the things you talk about um, with four color grimoire. And I have a quote here that I think really encapsulates uh, this, the, just the whole, the whole feeling we got. And um the, it, I think properly sets the tone. So it says, a fan does not just idolize or obsess, they summon. That's what makes this book a grimoire. It's not that I'm giving you a magical formula to follow uh, or the means to summon otherworldly entities. It's that I'm showing you how one person can summon up their fanatical devotion and turn it into a transform transformational experience. It isn't about the characters or the artists. It's about the ember of pure energy that comes with something that resonates as deeply as comic books do for me. Maybe it's Game of Thrones or Doctor Who for someone else, but for me, it has always been comic books. Uh, by being rabid fans of these things, we make them real and give them power. Uh, by that act alone, it gives these figures a level of reverence seldom seen outside of magical practice or religious devotion. So yeah, I... I and, I've, I've kind of talked about the idea of nostalgia a bit as well, yeah. kind of, um, and I mean, I'm certainly not the only one, but um, that the, the very sort of metaphysical trance-like quality of nostalgia, you, you, you hit this very well with um, like a, this, this description, this metaphysical description of fanaticism, because I think the idea of fanaticism gets uh, thrown to the wayside oftentimes. So I'm gonna run with that a little bit, man. Um, I wanna hear your thoughts on, uh, on magic and uh, comic books and fanaticism a little bit and what that means to you. <laughs> well, I mean, for me, fanaticism is just kind of like a, a, a truly deep devotion that can border on toxic. <laughs> right, right, it's that fine it's, line. It's the fine line, you gotta thread the needle. Cause Absolutely. Yeah, a fanatic can go anywhere between it's it's just total devotion. It's 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 like a pure and total devotion that just kind of hits you in the core. And honestly, like if for me, it's something I try to spread out. And I think that's what most fanatics really are. It's almost like a disease that a fanatic <laughs> is trying to spread. Yeah, no matter what it is. Yeah, you know, I'll um, uh there's that fine line between love for something like a comic book and just obsession. Like I collected comic books for a long time. I still have plenty of them, but um, I got rid of some of them. And um, yeah. I had, dude, I, I'd be interested in hearing what kind of sweet comic books you had or still have, but um, I had some good ones that um, 
I kept for a while and I ended up selling, which I don't regret. It was for, for good reasons. I, I, uh, I managed to do decent things with that money, but I had like the first appearance of Deadpool. I had the first appearance of Venom. I had some good nice. shit. So yeah, I like to collect and, uh, but I just remember the ups and downs of the collector mentality. Like, um, um so first of all there's waiting for the things to come in the mail and the spiral of like am i not going to get these things they're they're a lot of money like you know and then um just like what uh you almost feel like you know then you start to grab them and then you need the the full set of whatever it is Mm -hmm. and that starts to become very real and very visceral and it it can become very toxic and like you know, some of the, the fanaticism of my love of comic books very much carried over into the things I love today, like just esotericism and philosophy. So it was always very seamless to me. And um, they yeah. both, they, yeah, they both were that fine line. Yeah. Well, they slot together so well. Comics and the esoteric slot together so well. I mean, a comic book itself is kind of an alchemical process on its own. You have the visuals, you have the words, you have all of it just working together like page structure or like the shape of the book all of it kind of has to work together perfectly otherwise you just have a mess but if it works together perfectly you have just this glowing seed of inspiration yeah and you can have a great story you can have great uh you can have great illustrations but if the layout is shit then it's not going to read very well yeah so there's a there's a whole there's a whole orchestration behind it. Yeah. You have to yeah. be like, if, if someone like some of the greats, like, like the example of James O'Barr, um, someone that sits down and writes, illustrates and like plots out the whole thing. That's yeah. just what a, I, that's, that's a level of uh, artistic talent that um, I, I don't even think I could pull off. Like <laughs> that's, yeah. I have such a reverence for that. That's, that's a magical piece yeah. of work right there. Yeah, I've been I've been making comics for a decade and I don't even think I pull it off. So. <laughs> yeah, um, but that's all part of it, right? Refining oh, yeah. the craft every bit, every bit at a time. Um, yeah. And there's a lot um, speaking of like the thread between the two. Um, so there's uh, we, we can't um, we can't have a discussion like this without at least kind of uh, touching on uh, Grant Morrison and Alan Moore a bit. These are the first oh, two course. names that, uh, that come up anytime anyone dips their toe into comic books and philosophy, but with good reason, these guys are, have some serious food for thought. Um, I remember sure. back at the dawn of podcasts, uh, listening to Grant Morrison, talk to Kevin Smith. Um, I just listened to that today. Really? <laughs> No I shit. just listened to that today. Where he's describing to Kevin Smith some of his chaos magic, and Kevin's just like, mm. damn, like, holy shit, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's blowing his mind. It's blowing his mind. Oh, it's man, what like, a blast how, from the past. How deep his views go for, like, Batman and where he, where he came from when he, like, from the characters he wrote and how he just, like, how deep he went to yeah, get there. Yeah, would you like to get into some of that? I, like, uh for me, he wrote a lot of good Batman, um, and other stuff as well, but, um, um, Batman Arkham Asylum, his work with one of the greatest, again, one of the greatest comic books I've ever read, but yeah. Um, uh, talk about, uh, what, what, what would you have to say about Grant Morrison and chaos magic and comics there? I, I think as far as like 
adult comics go, Grant Morrison's comics were probably my first love. Alan Moore's and Grant Morrison's were both kind of my first loves as far as adult comics. I got The Invisibles when I lived in Duluth, Minnesota, and I was working overnights, and I I couldn't sleep. Like, I, I, I could not sleep when I was working overnight. So, like, deliriously, I got off of work. I went to the comic book store and bought the entire set of The Invisibles and just started reading it. And it broke my head open. I spent, like, the next eight months just in a weird fugue state. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Grant Morrison's good at that. He seems oh, to, yeah. He seems to craft art specifically designed for that. Oh, for um, sure, for sure. Have you seen his? Um, and I'm gonna break your heart, unfortunately, man, uh, because this is one that I still. It's at the. It's literally the number one on my list. Next time I dive into a, a series, I'm reading all of this beginning to end. I have not read Invisibles yet. I, I know it. I know it's legendary. It's like quintessential. <laughs> I, I, uh, I know the, um, the, uh, the, the stories of his chaos magic yeah. workings, because yeah. for anyone that isn't aware, like long story short, he basically used many um, like issues and the story arc overall of the invisibles for his own, like chaos magic workings. And um, yeah. um, he, uh, he talks like, I remember him talking about this at uh he did a, um a talk at disinfocon some years ago you've probably seen that before haven't you eric mm. oh yeah, yeah the one that he's he opens with the scream yeah yeah what a what <laughs> grant morrison is a crazy crazy man but in the best way like what a what yeah. an interesting guy um i would oh, love yeah. to have a drink with him um oh for sure well the, the weird thing about his work like before you dive into the invisibles his work, he almost trains you to read The Invisibles with his earlier work. If you read Animal Man, Doom Patrol, and Flex Mentalo before you dive into Invisibles, those books will train you to understand The Invisibles. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I'm definitely familiar. What, what was the third one you said? I don't think I'm familiar. Flex Mentalo. Yeah, what is that about? It's it's about esoteric superheroes. Okay. Essentially, it's okay. like metafiction. It's it's his first real foray into making superheroes into like holy figures, essentially. Yeah. Okay. And so before we get into Alan Moore a little bit, that is just a perfect natural segue into a distinction you make in your writing, which I think is crucial um, in un to understanding uh, comic books and philosophy in a way that doesn't that gives it the, 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 the necessary weight without getting pretentious. It's you, you, you make a little bit of a distinction um, between like directly equating superheroes to like God archetypes. And yeah. um, I think, um, and maybe you could put it in, I'm sure you could put it in, um, in better terms than I, but it's, it's almost more like they are um, it is the same, like, like the superheroes, even in the stories themselves, aren't um, aren't gods. Like even Superman, there's it's kind of like part of the the story where, like, he's perceived as a god oftentimes. But it, it, um, it, he isn't that what uh, part of Veitch's storyline that uh, he did with Superman, where he he went that more flawed, like um, a superhuman mm -hmm. route. And um, um, I think that's kind of the point of superheroes. It's that they're not. Even even the gods themselves, like they're not gods. Like the idea of the superhero is sort of the intermediary in symbolic terms, and it might be oh, a yeah. little bit of a misstep to 
equate them directly to gods, like some people will say, not just Grant Morrison, but um, uh, just the premises of chaos magic in general. But that's not to say they're not useful, magically speaking. Yeah, I think they're more useful as, as something like a, a saint than a god. Right, right. Yeah, like, that's a great way to put it. If you, yeah, if you, if you want to, like, that's my main disagreement with Grant Morrison as far as like when he made his Justice League run, he he compared them all to the gods. He said that you know Superman was an analog for <clears throat> Zeus, I think, and it was just like he had this whole list, and it feels wrong. It feels like you're taking away from the mythology of the comic book itself by saying this is like like this you can just like slot this in place of something else when these are very much myths of their own right they need to stand on their own two feet as myths and if you don't give them that kind of reverence they're just it's just like putting clothes on something else you're dressed you're playing dress up then you're not you're not actually like paying respect to the characters you're playing dress up right it's a simple point but it's very very important because i mean if you start kind of slapsticking things together um, and equating Superman to Zeus, you know, that's an interesting food. There's interesting food for thought there, but, but it's not, they're, they're certainly not direct equivalents. It's, it's, it's so much more um, genuine and uh, just, I don't know, more useful to the collective imagination, if you will, to to consider Superman or anybody else for what they are. Like the idea of the uh, the the flawed super alien being that is uh, mm-hmm. is trying to deal with actually helping people and like a bloated messiah complex. Like that's all. Take it for what it is, and and it will teach us what it's meant to uh, represent in our collective psyches because these things like touch in the like with the uh the quote that we read from uh from your writing there these these things touch very important um like imaginal aspects of the human experience yeah so tell us a little bit about um alan moore man what are your thoughts on him because i've always considered uh grant morrison to be like the crowley-esque like magician like rock star magician Mm -hmm. Um, and then uh, Alan Moore is more like the the like pipe smoking wizard that chills in his cabin. Those are like the vibes I've always gotten from him. Yeah, see, I, I love Alan Moore. Alan yeah. Moore is so just like he's 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 chaotic in his own way. It's like he's he's an anarchist wizard. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just I just really love the guy. Um, his work, especially his work on Swamp Thing, is incredibly important as far as comics go. Like. Swamp Thing is the best secret book on alchemy that has ever been made. Like, it is secretly about alchemy. He slips it in there and you have to really think about it to find it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the the amount of detail you go into um, talking about uh, both Swamp Thing and Man Thing and some of the, uh, the, the mythology, if you will, behind the two. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was always really fascinated with both of those characters, something about that, um, that, that lurker sort of like um, the natural, like hermetic gatekeeper, if you will, of the yeah. wilderness and how the man thing was the nexus, the gatekeeper, the nexus of realities and this shit. Um, yeah. But uh, I forgot how, how alchemical um, Swamp Thing was. 
until uh, oh, yeah. reading your your work again. Yeah, but it's through and through. It's so esoteric. Yeah, 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 yeah hundred percent. And he that was even before he announced he was a a, a magician. <laughs> like he was still just like a normal guy at that point. Well, I mean, as normal as Alan Moore ever was. Right. <laughs> he was always eccentric. <laughs> yeah. And for anyone that doesn't know, we're talking about V for Vendetta, uh, the Killing Joke. I mean. Mm-hmm freaking obviously swamp thing like what else he 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 worked on a lot of uh uh top names for a while right oh yeah like yeah. he worked on superman as well didn't he yeah he's done a, he's done a couple of like the best superman stories ever done like whatever happened to the man of tomorrow was uh, they were doing a reboot of the universe for a crisis on infinite earth and they let alan moore do the last superman story of that universe where superman like all of his friends die Oh, he, he damn. like gives up his powers at the end. He's like, just like a normal man at the end. Wow. See, that's that's another fascinating thing about comics is I've I've been invested in them my whole life to one degree or another. But I always learn about new stories and uh, n- new projects that people have done. It's 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 the gift that keeps on giving, man. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and Jack Kirby is uh, is is a name that we got to bring up too. Is I I feel like if we're gonna talk uh, comics and philosophy in a sort of informal way and comics and magic, got to talk about the cornerstones of uh, like the the guys that actually laid the groundwork for the crossroads between the two in like very literal, uh, like visceral ways. Um, Jack Kirby is a goddamn visionary. Um, oh, like, hell yeah. He, he might be. <laughs> uh, w- yeah. Would you disagree in because um, you would know more than I. I feel like at this point, um, it's safe to say that comics wouldn't even be close to what they are today without Jack Kirby more than anybody else. Oh, for sure. For sure. And even just like the Marvel Universe on on its own wouldn't even exist without Jack Kirby. Right. Or like Steve Ditko. Right. But like Jack Kirby designed the look of the Fantastic Four, Thor, Captain America. Before it was even Marvel Comics, he was working on Captain America. Like he did the first Avengers comics, X-Men, all of them. Like without Jack Kirby, those things would not be what they are. Yeah. He he was the seed. And uh, the whole time, Stan Lee was just kind of the middleman for ideas. He was just oh, yeah. kind of like throwing shit out of board, seeing what sticks. And um, yeah. I believe he um, was like, like it was like a family business. Um, uh, like I th- and and I can't remember if Timely Comics was the original name or if that was like the second name before Marvel, was that like the first name time? Timely was the first name. Yeah. Got you. Timely yeah. Was the first name. That was, uh, I, I think if I remember right, it was like, uh, Stan Lee was like the son-in-law of the, like one of the people who upstarted timely or something. So he was just a body to fill. Yeah. He was just like, get in the office and start making ideas so we can oh, start yeah. printing some shit. And, uh, if you think about it yeah. now, like the, the, the characters are so, I mean, they're so they're we love them for a reason now, but just like some some dumbass guy in an office, like smoking a cigar, maybe doing some cocaine, being like, what about a spider man? You know, like X-Men, like it's just random ideas, like just start crossing dudes with insects and animals and 
we'll just yeah. we'll just stick with that for now and see where that takes us so like they're not really amazing ideas but what people do with them oh, no. really becomes the legendary part yeah and and like stanley gets he gets way too much credit yeah. like i even kind of i even go into it when i start talking about jack kirby in my book yeah, like I, yeah. I just rag Stanley. <laughs> yeah, and 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 it's important because you know what? Like I guess give the guy credit where it's due, but um, let's stop like collectively sucking his dick so much, maybe. Um, yeah. Because he, uh, yeah, I don't know. He just I I don't even want to call him a writer because like he worked in a method known as the Marvel method of writing, which is he would write a one to two page outline give it to the artist and the artist would have to turn that into a 32 page comic book. Right. Yeah. And then they'd send the art back and he'd write dialogue and captions. And half the time, even on the art boards, like Jack Kirby would write his own dialogue and Stanley would just use it. Wow. So he had, he did like maybe 10% of the work on most of the comics and early Marvel, but now he's like the godfather of Marvel. Like he's just like, yeah, patron they had to have him in Marvel comics. Yeah, oh yeah, patron saint for sure. Um, I don't have the notes in front of me, but um, like for the specific details, but very legitimate thing where you could just like read about it on um on any major news source. It was like it blew up for a while. Like during the dot com bubble, Stan Lee did this thing called Stan Lee Media. Uh, you're mm-hmm. probably familiar with it, and. Uh, um, it ended up crashing. There was all sorts of things. They owed people money. And but like the dude, his right hand man that helped him upstart it that came to him and was like, let's sink some money into this. He ended up going to jail for like conspiracy and like trafficking and like all sorts of money laundering. Yeah. So you can't tell me that Stanley didn't kind of know what was going on. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah. Stanley does not seem yeah, you know, rest in peace, whatever, but seemed yeah. like he was a he was uh uh, a little skeevy, maybe, probably safe yeah. to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he is he is the guy that created Stripperella with Pamela Anderson. Oh my God, that's a thing. That's for real. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recommend everybody look that up. It was a cartoon show called Stripperella. Oh no, no. Voiced by Pamela Anderson. <laughs> oh my God. Created by Stan Lee. <laughs> He also did a Backstreet Boys comic in the 90s. What? Oh, Jesus. Wow. Why am I not surprised? That is ridiculous. Oh, yeah, I should not be surprised. That guy, wow. was, a, that guy was a shell. <laughs> he would do anything for a buck. Yeah, that's the best way to describe him. A shell that would do anything for a buck. I think that really does encapsulate Stan Lee. And Jack Kirby was an actual visionary, like, like I said. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that guy, that guy ground like he he was constantly grinding. That dude was doing like seventy pages a month of Jesus, comics. That is no layout, intense. no layouts. He would start at the top, top of the page, go down to the bottom. No layouts, just draw a comic page. Man, man, that's someone born to, to do that right there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Like his uh, interviews are amazing. Like I. I I also recommend anybody to find interviews, especially his uh, comic journal interview from the 90s, like or late 80s, where he tears into everybody. Great stuff. Wasn't it Grant Morrison that equated him to William Blake? Jack it Kirby? was. Yeah. It was. I think yep. that's that's pretty fair. It's pretty fair. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <Pretty> fair. <laughs> um, 
Thousands of people are having paranormal experiences with ghosts, demons, shadow people, dogmen, Bigfoot, and more. Their stories need to be told, and they are being told. Dark Waters, the renowned storyteller, invites you to join at imdarkwaters.com. For just a few dollars a month, you can listen to some of the most hair-raising and compelling stories on the planet. You'll have access to real-life stories told by Dark Waters, thousands of hours of content. Their encounters are being told and told by the best at imdarkwaters.com. Listen to stories like The Rabbit Man, The Dog Man Encounter in Silas, Alabama, The Man with No Face, The Other Woman, A Day Ahead of the Devil, Dog Man Murder in Hurricane Ida, even a story of someone trying to kill a dogman. Louisiana Water Demon Stories. Sign up today and become a member at imdarkwaters.com. That's imdarkwaters.com. Listen. As we explore the mysteries of the universe, the unknown, high strangeness, consciousness, and our human potential, Lighting the Void is an eclectic program that strives to ignite the late night with stimulating conversations. Join us on The Fringe FM. Musicians experience a lot of frustration with music marketing and promotion. They have no idea how to get their music heard. And they're spending hours sending emails, making phone calls, and hitting up their friends to promote them. With our industry-powered digital marketing platform, we can set up your media plan in minutes. Our team will automatically distribute your music across all the best channels, so you can focus on actually making the music. Submit your music today on our website at mymusicpromoter.com. That's mymusicpromoter.com. From parapsychology to pop conspiracy, and from parapolitics to health and esoterica, I'm Ryan Gable, host of The Secret Teachings, and I'll bring you all of this and more five nights a week right here on The Fringe FM. By using critical thinking and objectivity as keys to understanding, utilizing, and appreciating the secret teachings of all ages. You can catch The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday right here on The Fringe FM after Joe Rook and Lighting the Void. Do you want to escape the simulation? Well, join me, Jess Rogie, every week as we explore a variety of different realities to help expand our minds and find out a little more about this world we live in. Escape the simulation with me live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern here on TheFringe.fm. The Natural Born Alchemist podcast is a podcast that covers topics like alchemy, shamanism, psychedelics, anarchism, and philosophy. Join Alex, that's me, and a multitude of guests on a quest to discover the nature of reality, of spirit, and of consciousness. Each episode will also introduce you to new music that you might never have heard before. You can find the podcast on most platforms. Simply search for Natural Born Alchemist or go directly to naturalbornalchemist.com. There you'll be able to find all the social media links as well. Freedom is in the mind.
Well, um, see, who else do you get? Let's talk about Steve Ditko a little bit. Talk about, and also, um, have you released all of this yet? You haven't, right? You're still working on elements. Um, the book is technically on sale right now. Oh, okay. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> like, I, I secretly, like, let it out for sale. So if anybody's listening to this, they could actually buy it right now. Nice. Go do but that. But I got, like, I got, like, six installments left to email out still. Okay. Okay, cool. That's good uh, Good news for any listeners out there. And good news for us, too, because I was just going to ask you uh, if anything that you didn't necessarily want to talk about. But it sounds like you don't really have a problem with that yeah uh, awesome nah, nah, i don't um, hold anything sacred cool cool <laughs> so yeah i want to talk about um like the symbolism of superheroes and some of the lore a bit more and i was going to do the commercial breaks in here but i've already lost track of time so i'll figure that out <laughs> later i'm having a good time um and um uh, but before we do that, um, I might as well, because I would love to um, touch a little bit on um, also Steve Ditko and then, um, dang, what was his name? Because we, I, I really wasn't familiar with his name, um, Veitch. Yeah, Rick Veitch. Rick yeah. Veitch. Okay. Like I yep. said, I, I was, he's, he's like a staple um, of the comic book industry. So I know I'd seen that name before and I knew I recognized the artwork, but um, I'm glad that you did some writing on him because he's a name that's definitely uh, worth knowing in terms of comic book yeah. history. Yeah. And he's still releasing stuff. Like he's still putting stuff out. Like he's still, Good. he's still doing his, uh, max immortal series which is tied directly to ratback that we talked about earlier where he goes he goes into detail about comic history and the history of superman like it's essentially all about the symbolism of superman and the shadiness of the comic book industry (laughs) have you read the boys at all oh yeah yeah yeah. how is that because i've wanted to that's at the that's on my list too i i think the show does it better (laughs) <laughs> does it okay okay because i have seen the first season of the show and uh and i was yeah. like i'm gonna have to probably jump on this bandwagon at some point because yeah. this comics i think fun. the comics are fun the comics were fun but i think he's overstayed his welcome i don't think it should have gone for like the 70 issues it went for gotcha probably should have gone for about 30 i think he had enough for 30 went for 70 good to know <laughs> good to know Dude, and I was surprised. We'll get to Steve Ditko, um, uh, but I was surprised and n- not knocking you at all. You had plenty of food for thought in there, but you didn't get into uh, Neil Gaiman at all. And he's another great uh, mystical comic book yeah. name. Um, I am not a huge Neil Gaiman fan. Really? Is not, it Gaiman anyway? I, I don't even know. Both, I don't yeah. know what it is. Who cares? It could be Gaiman. Could be Gaiman. I Who don't cares? know. <laughs> you don't like don't him, know. huh? How come? I couldn't get through Sandman. I found his writing too pretentious. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, um, his, uh, his Black Lotus series, I talk about that in, in the same article as Swamp Thing. His Black Lotus series was amazing, though. <laughs> what is that about? It's about a um, another plant-based uh, superheroine who, she was originally like a, like a pulp era, like run-of-the-mill superheroine who just like fought crime, who in his story, she dies and gets cloned and turned into a plant person. Interesting. I think I remember you meant, uh, writing about this a little bit now. Yeah. 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 Um, it was like an oddly feminist take on superheroism that you don't really see. Yeah. Where it, was, it was almost like loving 
loving everything to death instead of killing it out of rage. Yeah, he I've always liked his um his imagery, but um I I think a lot of the times he finds the right artists too. Yeah, yeah, like sure. yeah. Sure. Um, without the right artists, his his writing would not would not be what it is. Um, yeah, but um, all right. So I forgot how brutal Steve Ditko was. Um, oh God, yeah. <laughs> man, you were reading some of these old school characters, like the question and things, and like um, it's like, geez, this is a. Uh, this is uh it was it was reminding me of like John Bernthal's Punisher like I remember yeah. watching those two series and that was like some of the most brutal comic book shit that I had ever seen I loved it yeah um yeah lots of lots of criminal death yeah yeah no mercy <laughs> lots of criminal death um was like it there the, was go ahead go ahead oh no you go ahead you go ahead I was gonna say real quick wasn't it the question that um um masked his face with the like liquid. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the liquid skin that was meant to be a band-aid but it turned out to be toxic I thought while reading that yeah. it's like wow what a comic book origin like it's super toxic if you get it on an open wound but let me put it on my face where I have all these other like pores and open <laughs> eye sockets yeah. and everything yeah. else and that'll be good <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah but I mean what what's kind of funny is uh Rick Veach actually did a question series where that stuff turns into a hallucinogen Oh yeah. Oh the, shit. The, you're the, right. He puts the stuff on his face and he, it makes the, the question trip. And it, he's a, uh, he's an urban shaman. See, that is <laughs> fucking cool, man. I love that. That's why <laughs> comic books no are face. So great. Yeah. And that's why, that's why like old school, traditional comic culture is different than the movies. That's what some people are not going to mm-hmm. get. Like the movies have to be glitzy and appeal to the wide audience. But yeah. the thing that was so great about comics is it was just random money being thrown at niche artists that were going in bonkers directions. Like, Oh yeah. yeah. All the way through the nineties, all the way up until Warner brothers bought out DC comics and Disney bought out Marvel. Yep. The, comics, uh, they just, they went wild. They went crazy. Like Captain America turned into a werewolf in the nineties for like six months. For six months. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Damn. Yeah. That's not good. Um, like the clone saga, like lasting three or four years or whatever. I, lasted. Yeah. I was just about to bring that up with you. Cause I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. Um, yeah. And the clone saga. See, Full disclosure for anybody, any listener that doesn't happen to know, like I'm still kind of a young gun. I'm only 26. So I was born in 96. So I remember um, like the clone saga was like wrapping up when I was like being born. And I remember um, uh, going and like, I, I, I would grow up. I grew up with like the, the comic book encyclopedias. So you could read about mm-hmm. biographies and all these people and just reading the clone saga and having my heart broken, like, but all, <laughs> all the details and like, who's really Peter Parker and everything else. And yeah. I'm like, God, I'm being, I'm a little kid and thinking like, I can't, why would they do this to people? They strung this story out for years and just fucked with people like that. That's so that's dirty, man. That's yeah, dirty. too. I, <laughs> I was working at a comic book store at the time. And oh man! It made it made everybody hate Spider Man. Like, <laughs> Spider Man like had the most copies left on the shelf at the end of the week. Oh of man! All of the characters at that time, like they just ripped that character apart. Yeah, yeah. 
it would have been one thing if they at least did the story proper justice, but they didn't even do that. Yeah. The whole thing was yeah. messy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, it was bad. It was bad. But uh, Spider-Man is one that, you know, we see him today um, as mostly the like high school or right out of high school, like up and coming mm-hmm. superhero. And that's kind of where he's always been frozen. But the reason I loved the comics so much growing up was because I always saw Spider-Man as the, as the like grown man that was like, uh, that was a reporter that was often covering crimes. And, you know, he was seeing Mary Jane, who was a model and uh, who was, was like way out of his league. And he was trying to keep up mm-hmm. with that. And it was all very like endearing. And he was just kind of like the working man, but he was like a, uh, um, he was a family man too. And, and, and yeah. it was dark. It was almost like a, like a Batman ish sort of angle. A lot of times where he was like covering like investigative crimes and then going and looking into it as Spider-Man. And a lot of his rogues yeah. gallery were like killers, even like carnage mm-hmm. and, and shit like that. And um, that is, I don't know. That's just something that is, it's, it's, it's tough for a Spider-Man fan out there, man, because if you don't want high school Spider-Man, then you're, you're shit out of luck, basically. <laughs> but there's so much more out yeah. there. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Like in the comics, he's been allowed to be like 40 years old. Yeah. You know? like, like he gets to be middle-aged in the comics. Yeah, he had a, he had kids in different uh, storylines yeah. and stuff, especially before One More Day and like them rewriting yeah. uh, his whole his whole universe there, which is another real that's, big. That's kick a whole to the other nuts. can of worms. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> real. But uh, Spider Man, the one good thing that came, I, I if I remember correctly, this was like end of the '90s, getting into the 2000s, was where they started dabbling. And this was like a roots of it in like the eighties and shit, but they really came to fruition, especially in uh in like two thousands ish was Spider-Man and the, like that mystical sort of angle where yeah. they, they, they leaned into Madam Webb more. And she was like always working with tarot cards and doing like, like mystical visions and shit. And uh, mm-hmm. um, he would he, like the whole spider bite was like a tether to like the web of like the cosmos and the spider God that was almost like a demiurge of yeah. the earth. And it was getting pretty cool. Yeah. So I think some people yeah, thought it was, it was silly. And I mean, it was getting, it was kind of veering off of the roots of Spider-Man, but I always loved that man. I always loved that. It's kind of refreshing when, when you come off of the clone saga and he right. just kind of like struggles for a few years after that. And like suddenly, um, you know, he becomes uh, the, the, the spider totem and all of his, all of his rogues. Yeah. They're all animal based totems. And that's why they all gravitate towards him because they're all like, they all represent these spirits of these animals that are constantly in conflict with one another. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. 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 And yeah, especially after the clone saga. That was way better. Yeah. Do you, um, when did, um, how old were you when Craven's Last Hunt came out? Oh, I was too young for that one. Were you? When that one first, I, I didn't find that one until I was a teenager. Got you. So okay. Likewise, I think then. it came out in like 86, 87, something gotcha. like that. Yeah. That's an older one. It would have been five. Okay. Okay. <laughs> a, little, a little too rough for me. Yeah, they talk about <laughs> dark comics, man. Oh man, that, was, that blew my mind. That was like not quite, but almost on the level of like the Crow. I first reading that as a teenager, you're just like, oh my god, I didn't know they could take 
these lovable heroes that we all know to these places. And that really opened up a whole can of worms of like, I have to find more comic books like this right here. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a good like gateway drug to like the grim and gritty eighties stuff. Yes. Like yes. dark Knight returns and Watchmen. Oh and- man. Yeah. We haven't even talked. Yeah. Watchmen <laughs> um, uh, and Alan Moore work. We didn't bring up. We haven't even talked about Frank Miller yet. Do you have any thoughts yeah. you'd like to bring up on him? I liked him until he went crazy after 9-11. He did go crazy, <laughs> didn't he? What was that one he came up with? The really angry, just oh, bad God. superhero where it's just he was just fighting terrorists. I can't even remember what it was called anymore. It, it was, was rough bad. though. Yeah. It was, bad. It was very angry it was, it was his and like, worst hateful. Work. Yeah. Yeah. And you could tell he was like um Frank Miller doesn't seem like a bad dude at all, but if you yeah. didn't know any better, you'd think like, oh, like, wow, what a terrible person for some of that. Like it was, it was just really yeah. tasteless yeah. and yeah, not good. Not, not, not comics finest hour with whatever the hell that guy was named. Um, yeah. Well, it's, it's weird. Cause in the sequel to dark Knight returns, what is it? Uh, dark Knight comes rides again or dark Knight something his sequel that he did in 1999 to 2001 you could tell he was working on that when 9-11 happened because halfway through the story, it kind of maps out his reaction to 9-11. Like, cause it goes from just like this shocky, like superhero thing that he wanted to do. And it just gets darker and more unhinged and more about like terrorism and the world's reaction to violence and stuff like that. It's like, it's a map of where he loses it man i'm trying to remember um i know i know the first um the i think it's the, dark knight rises yeah i think that's what it's called yeah and that's the second one right and then dark knight returns is the first it's it's hard to keep straight even as a comic book fan sometimes especially with the movie titles yeah. and shit but yeah yeah classics right there um my dad still has those first prints um yeah so, yeah those, those i just classics. let mine go like a year ago oh man yeah it's good uh i feel like as a it's good as a collector to let things go every now and then just pass it pass the joy on forward and then you can maybe make a little bit of money too so (laughs) win-win yeah yeah well my uh my wife was feeling a little claustrophobic with my comic book collection (laughs) like it takes up an entire wall in our house (laughs) yes (laughs) bravo man i applaud you i love that that's great Yeah, yeah I can't um, wait to show my four-year-old some of that stuff eventually. <laughs> oh, I bet it's gonna blow his mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you think he's gonna be an illustrator too? I don't know. I don't know. He's he's too dramatic. I think he's gonna <laughs> be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Have you have you ever read Spider-Man Rain? Uh, maybe. I can't think of it off the top of my head though. I can't remember the dude who did it, but I I think it's like Care Andrews. I think it's like K-E-R-R or something like that. Um, Mm. um, I'm surprised that name came to me, but um, (laughs) um, yeah, uh, uh, writer and illustrator for it. And it was basically a a, like no, a a very like obvious uh tip of the hat to the dark knight returns but doing it with spider-man and it was in this uh uh spider-man's retired the whole nine yards and he's uh he's 
um, like dejected from society and kind of like old and withered. And it's in a dystopian sort of world where um, you know, a sort of corporatocracy sort of thing, uh, a brave new world-esque sort of thing, um, right on, right at the end of the world we know, and we could see this transition. And it has something to do with with Venom lurking in the corporate shadows, and uh, and Spider-Man ends up having to come out of retirement. And it's really dark, and just it's really phenomenal. If you uh, don't remember reading it you should refresh yourself when you have some time to kill because yeah. it's a great story man it, and it, it really um um without spoiling anything um there's a part in the story where mj's died um mm. and she's since been dead for a, long before the story starts and you find out that the reason she died and uh, this is how far the story goes is they're, they're not trying to pull any punches um because um peter parker's blood is radioactive um Mm. from basically having the relationship with him he gives her cancer and she dies so oh damn yeah yeah it's hard i know man yeah (laughs) yeah but uh and 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 it's not just for shock value either um it's all uh tied into the story really well and it's like i don't know the the that's another fun thing about comics is taking things that are like so embedded in the collective psyche and then just like taking them to alternate realities or what if stories and then just bending the shit out of them and just seeing what happens, man. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, there's one that I, I think of, uh, you ever heard of ruins? I don't think so. So in the mid nineties, uh, Warren Ellis, the writer Warren Ellis made a, so there was a, there was a comic series called Marvel's back then that was like this really nostalgic view of marvel comics through the, the history of america and it's like right. all like fun and apple pie you know rah 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 stuff Warren Ellis made the opposite of that where what if everything went wrong in marvel comics <laughs> oh wow interesting where like magneto can't control his magnetic powers he has to wear a power dampener like a, a degauss system on his wow. chest and it breaks while he's at an airport and all of the metal within like a half mile is attracted to him and crushes him to death damn and damn like, okay and spider-man is radioactive and he's like giving people radioactive poisoning oh and- man and, yeah, so these yeah. guys aren't even superheroes. They're just people with unfortunate powers that are yes. killing them. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's rowdy. Like, I yeah, love That's like exactly Hulk what I'm talking like about. Down. Like the Hulk just melts when, when the gamma bomb goes off. Bruce Banner just melts. Wow. That's fuck. Uh, that's like Andy Kaufman-esque with comic books almost. Yeah. It's just like the antithesis of comics. Yeah. It's, it's so brutal. I love it's it. So wow. I can't believe I haven't heard of that one. Um, yeah. So in terms of comic books and actual esoteric practice, um, what do you think? Like, let's talk about brass tacks a little bit, Um, like chaos magic and the idea that belief is the biggest tool and everything else are sort of uh, pieces to the, 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 but belief is the linchpin. And once you learn where you're guiding and gauging your belief, um, the, you kind of uh, learn to utilize the symbols and learn what works with you from there. Uh, so like, how do you feel about um, 
what's the best way to put it? There's, there's tradition and orthodoxy, right? And then there is the, um, and then there's chaos magic. And I kind of like to ride the line between the two, because I think tradition is useful, but I also don't like the constraints of full-blown orthodoxy. And um, I'm all about, I, you know, I think that's sort of like hermetic in and of itself is taking some like not being constrained by what's scholarly and what isn't it's all about the approach do you take a scholarly approach to the subjects that you're interested in and your uses of those things and I mean and while some people might snub their noses I think that uh, you know for all the things we've talked about and more comic books have their place in actual philosophy and actual like esoteric symbolic food for thought I don't I kind of like to be a contrarian and (laughs) Like I try to be scholarly on some things, but for the most part, if somebody is an authority on something, I'll try to get the cliff notes on something and then just go off on my own. Like usually something sticks out and I just fly off to wherever I'm going. Like I, I got a real like I got I got a real connection to like Dadaism and surrealism. And it's like I I don't care about systems. <laughs> like I honestly I do not care about orthodoxy. I'm kind of kind of anti anti orthodoxy i think that stuff is kind of toxic when taken too far right absolutely like it's good to have frames of reference um if if that's yeah. what if that's what helps you but um so quickly that just becomes the rules of thumb that we don't question and uh yeah. that's and and that's sort of antithetical to like everything that um all the reasons that I, and it seems like you as well, kind of got into like mysticism or esotericism or anything. Like it's all about finding ways to catalyze like abnormal and powerful states of consciousness, you know, like whether that be artistic or, you know, whatever else. But I mean, art in and of itself is such a, is such a, um, like, like you, you, you had a line that was actually in four color grimoire that was like just simple, but, and, you know, I'm sure other people have said it elsewhere before, uh, you see it, it, you weren't even trying to make like a grand statement with it, but it just, it, it, I really liked it. And it was just like some of the most magic I've seen, like magic is best described in reality as like the, like, like a transcendental moment at like a spoken word poetry. Um, and and it's not just the, like the delivery of the poem or the writing of the words, it's the exchange between the, 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 the reader and the listener and whatever, like mimetic gateways you might be unlocking in a person's psyche. Like this, that could sound like high-minded and silly to some people, but if you actually, there's like very psychological building blocks to art and symbols and what kinds of, um, approaches to life you take because of those things yeah for sure for sure well we're all really just having like individual experiences in reality like my reality is my reality i can't tell you what you're experiencing i can't tell you what higher states you've gotten to and what those higher states look like to you that's yours you own that just like you own your practice that gets you there absolutely same goes for me. And if you find something that just like clicks and it slots you into that thing that gets you there, that's your thing, man. <laughs> that is, that is your thing. It doesn't, doesn't matter what 10, 10 occult experts tell you. 
They can have whatever pedigree they have. It doesn't matter because if their shit doesn't work and yours does, yours is the right stuff. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Nail on the head. I couldn't agree more. Um, I've seen um, I've seen religion do great things for people and um, on the, you know, on the same on the other side of that token, like I've seen art do way more for people than religion could ever do for those people it's really all about what speaks to you and like trusting what trusting like what your calling is because art in and of itself choosing to like pursue not just what you want to express i feel like but also just what you want to consume artistically um it's not just like a a trivial thing it really it is it's truly quintessential to the human experience i mean it goes back to cave paintings and everything like there's something fundamental about it and um you know like sure like you can enjoy some trash tv every now and then if you want but i think that um the 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 inherent magical and cathartic quality of art is something that's that's so deeply overlooked today and um Yeah, I, uh, I, I again, if uh, if it wasn't for comic books, I wouldn't be the person I am today. Um, yeah, same here, same here. I got thirty five years of reading comics under my belt, and that that stuff has left an indelible mark. <laughs> like, what are some of the most impactful comic book stories that you've ever read, or some of the uh, the most uh, so like the characters that have left the most indelible impressions on you that like you really would uh and not have qualms about saying like this is this this character is saintly to me at least in terms of my how it's helped shape me well i would definitely say um the new gods the core of it is is insanely impactful i think i've read that series like from beginning to end all the titles like i think i've read the read it probably 20 30 times i've i love it so much my son is named orion Awesome. Hell yeah. I love that. Um, so I I've definitely heard of that one, but again, that's another monolith that I have not yet touched. Yeah. So describe some of that for, uh, for the listener and I, so I'm curious. Well, it's, uh, it's a, mostly about two warring worlds, um, new Genesis and apocalypse and apocalypse is ruled over by this like horrible despot known as dark side who's just like this, like, he's evil incarnate, essentially. And his goal in life is to find what uh, this thing called the anti-life equation, where whoever has the anti-life equation can take over the minds of other people. They, they, they just get taken over. They get infected like a virus by this, this equation, this mathematical equation. And that's, that's his goal. Is he's just searching for it. And it, it ends up being on Earth. So this like cosmic interplanetary war between this heavenly new Genesis and hellish dark uh, apocalypse, it ends up on earth where these gods basically fight it out over the the anti-life equation. Wow. That is so, that's so Jack Kirby. I love it. Oh oh my. That's great. (laughs) That is, yeah. I'm definitely adding that one to the list there. Um, Yeah. One that I grew up with, it's just kind of quintessential. It's nothing new, but um, it's one of the first things I think of when I think of old school, just like fun, 
like pulpy comics is uh marvel secret mm. wars oh yeah yeah <laughs> good stuff there man yeah it oh, was yeah. hokey it was definitely hokey yeah. yes they made that about uh action figures but that was fun man yeah. that was good clean family fun right there uh that was the first oh, yeah. that was the first graphic novel my dad ever bought me actually oh oh yeah. wow yeah so i had read some uh comic books and stuff but in terms of me having a copy that i could just beat to hell and back um yeah marvel secret it. wars yeah it was good stuff man well, yeah that's one where the incredible hulk holds up a mountain right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like they drop him out on the heroes and he, he just holds it up. Yeah, man. Comic books. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, also that's where Spider-Man found the black costume too for anybody. That right. Know. Yeah. Um, but uh which has been a, just a like a kerfuffle for anything else media related with the Spider-Man black costume whether it be the comic books or, or the, i mean the cartoons or the movies or even like comic book reboots no one has the time to explain secret wars variants or anything like that so they just got to say it was a meteorite or something <laughs> oh yeah yeah that's what the 90s spider-man cartoon did right dude talk they about it on the moon they found it on the moon right yeah it was uh jay jonah jameson's son brought it down from the moon yep. i remember yep. that was that was definitely a huge part of my childhood the whole 90s whenever i read spider-man in the comics i hear that dude's uh, cartoon character actor voice for spider-man it's just can't escape oh, yeah <laughs> yeah and, and mark hamill's green goblin i i hear that more than i i hear willem dafoe dude i forgot he did do the green goblin in that didn't he yep man he yep. is so great he is so great yep. um he was the joker the the best joker i'm i'm gonna go to bat for that definitely the best joker and green goblin so wow on um, top of being luke skywalker yeah yeah no kidding <laughs> did you ever you yeah are, are you did you like the batman beyond cartoons loved it cool good yeah those are great and the batman beyond movie return of the joker where mark hamill comes back oh mm -hmm. dude that still holds up to this day that's a genuinely great movie it's badass it is, it yeah is. that is that is an underrated movie it really is it really is like, man this is a fun. great story it's a fun conversation <laughs> yeah <laughs> um um man all right so i just want to talk like some more fun stuff with you i don't even know how much how much more time do you have my friend about 15 minutes. Okay, cool. Than 15 minutes. Cool. Yeah. All right. So there's there's one more thing I want to bring up with you for fun before we maybe talk some more philosophy and then we talk about um, where people can find um, some of your ongoing material and where they might be able to get your work and things. Um, how much did you read of, if any, of the Marvel 2099 series the, when it came out? Oh, I read a lot of Spider-Man 2099. I read a good amount of X-Men 2099. I loved the incredible hulk from 2099 dude yeah this is like batshit crazy comic books and i love it um i have um the full run except for a few issues in the middle of spider-man 2099 still um yeah so um and i classic have classic series yeah man yeah as i got rid of some of my good ones but i made sure to keep some especially for nostalgia and i kept all my 2099s i got the hulk 2099 and uh ghost rider did you ever read ghost rider 2019 oh yeah yeah uh chris uh chris bachelor did the art the art Ooh. that is amazing yeah it is yeah <laughs> and for anybody that doesn't know 
this blew my mind as a kid. Talk about opening like your mind to like realistic, practical, like metaphysics and shit. Like the Ghost Rider 2099, he was like a hacker that was like escaping like organized crime. And he ended up downloading his consciousness into like like onto the internet and then once he gets there he realizes that there's like a whole like there's like a whole there's like gatekeepers like the watchers except they're like digital beings and uh and and they choose him to go back and they upload his consciousness into like a terminator with a metal skull face that still lights on fire (laughs) and he has a hand for a chainsaw and he just goes into like digital like blade runner like um uh, like New York City, basically, and it's just hacking up like roided out digital monsters, like because they have like site or like robots that other people download their consciousness into, and they go and fight him. Man, it was crazy. They had this, uh, they had this one entity in there called L Cipher for Lucifer, and uh, <laughs> I remember being a little kid and loving that. It's like, man, this shit is great. <laughs> And at this point, you can probably get all that stuff for so cheap. Probably, like, yeah. Comic book stores bought so much of that stuff when I was right before I quit working at a comic book store. That stuff was all in the quarter bins. Like, yeah, you can buy, buy that stuff for quarter. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, and some people are like, oh, like they want to go and look at comic books because they want to like find the rare ones or whatever, and that's cool too because you actually can find some stuff that's mismarked or that you know is coming up that the markets haven't quite picked up on, but man, finding those dime store or some of those dime bin, quarter bin comics, that's some of the best part. You can go and find whole storylines for like $5 and just walk away and and have all new stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah, some of that stuff is is great. Like, it's forgotten now. Like, that's why it's so cheap is it's just forgotten. Yeah. It's just and you can find that stuff. It is some of the best comics you'll ever read. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's where the it's where the most pure artistic concepts are. You'll you'll see like Iron Man fly off the shelf. Well, like some small time creators, like nearly like underground version of like the Incredible Hulk will go in the quarter bin because people were like, oh, I don't like this direction this person went in that yeah which yeah. is which is why 2099 ended up not being that popular in the end it's like everybody just wanted the classics and 2099 it went by the wayside even though it's all it's all just crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah man they really ran with some of that it was fun um so what would you say to anybody like because for you and i um one way or the other like our love of comic books actually like i can speak for myself and i'd like to hear your point of view like even just like i said uh, uh, earlier the needing to know all the backstories of all the characters and reading encyclopedias and i remember being a little kid and being like why do i need to know the backstory of this like side like you know like two-bit villain in a spider-man story arc like but i just need to know because i want the full picture because i i'm invested in the small pieces of all this and when i got into philosophy more and more and then like meteor esotericism and understanding like symbols of gods and whatever else it was uh, especially early on for a long time um um, it was I, I noticed that same fanaticism where it's like why do I even need to know all this stuff and it's 
just because I'm invested in it because I care about it. And somehow on a level that I can't quite articulate or certainly um, couldn't as much in the moment at the time, there was, it was meeting some sort of deep need that I had to uh, like mine some of the recesses of my, of, of my own imagination, you know, because as, as you're well aware, Eric, like the imagination has, you know, recesses of things that are like very literal and tangible, just not in, just in non-physical ways, but they contribute to our state of being and our, our entire existence. And, and, you know, a lot of times we can, um, art often becomes the only way for some of those things to, uh, become expressed and for us to get any sort of like healthy understanding of. So like how if, how have comics been like that for you? And like, what, I don't know, what would any kind of food for thought would you have for someone that is kind of like uh, wanting to, is tired of hearing that comic books are just paper and like, like Pulp Fiction stories and like wants to understand the, that artistic context that they have in their own like philosophical lives. Well, I think, I think the biggest thing that, the biggest hurdle that comic neophytes kind of hit <laughs> is treating is treating comics as a genre and not a medium because you have to look at it as we're talking about superhero comics there are comics for everything right absolutely for absolutely everything so superheroes might not be your thing but that doesn't mean that there's still not an absolute ton from the medium that will hit you hard yeah and and that is something that's really overlooked too people think superheroes and comic books but there's there's so much more out there yeah and uh, yeah. i mean uh my little pony had a pretty strong comic book run for a while especially with that <laughs> with, with the uh, off the heels of the cartoon well, yeah, yeah friendship you... is magical <laughs> yeah man um but uh yeah. Yeah. You can I mean, definitely like, learn real lessons and you can find mm -hmm. real, real, even dare I say, like life-changing food for thought in comic books. Most certainly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, like a lot of people don't know that uh, Alejandro uh, Jodorowsky writes comic books. Oh yeah. And he's wow. been writing comics for like 30, 40 years. I'm so glad you brought that comics name up. Since the seventies. And like he had his fail attempt at making his Dune movie. But he just translated it into a comic called Meta Barons that has run for like 20 years. Really? That long? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's like the original series of Meta Barons. I have the, the omnibus for it. It's like 900 pages long. Damn. Dude, he was one. Um, Jodorowsky. That's how you pronounce it, right? I don't know. I, it's either Jodorowsky or Yodorowsky. I can't. Oh, uh, one I, or the I, other. As long count. as I got the general pronunciation yeah. right. Yeah, that's um, the neighborhood. Yeah, <laughs> dude. He was one that I didn't learn about until uh, probably just a couple of years ago because he's such a uh, an out of the box artist. Um, but yeah. then when I learned about Holy Mountain, um, I remember getting on Twitter and being like, "Hey, like I finally watched Holy Mountain." Everyone all of my friends on there that are interested in alchemy or anything are just like, dude, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what took you so long? Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Uh, but yeah, what a mind-bending movie. So if anyone doesn't know that, yeah. that's a staple. You should probably definitely watch that. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I still have yet to dive into um, his whole world of of um, of comic book art. Um, his his um, comics art are yeah. His comics are crazy. <laughs> they're all they're wait. all science fiction, and he worked a lot with uh, Mobius, who was like a, a a giant in comic book art from the eighties. Yeah, he well, Mobius did the possibly the best Silver Surfer Galactus story ever. Man, with yeah. Stanley. <laughs> um, Galactus is probably one of the greatest comic book uh, characters of all time. Yeah, yeah, that's the one that uh, he's my fallback. Like, as if, if anybody ever asked me who my favorite Marvel character is, it's Galactus. Every time, that's a good Every one too. Time. I absolutely all the artwork you have throughout uh, the four color grimoire is great, and the the illustration you have of like your rendition of Galactus is so badass. I love that a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I was I was trying my best to skirt copyright. <laughs> I think you did a good job. Yeah. Well done. That's the hermetic principle of comic books as an art form that I love so much. And it's especially present with superhero comic books. It's something initially so hokey and silly, and they take it to such far reaching places that really make you uh like uh feel all sorts of different emotions and um um i've always in in the way where you you um you know kind of get annoyed with orthodoxy i've always been the same where i like seeing things that are taboo or like comic books taboo from a from a scholastic point of view or whatever and i like looking at like well why why you know i'm always open to both points of view but um if I, you know, a lot of times people are just writing something off because they don't want to be perceived as less than by peers or whatever else. And, um, you know, yeah. there's, there's so much food for thought wherever you look. Um, and it's all about what you gravitate towards. So, um, oh, for sure, for sure. What are some closing thoughts that you have, my man? I don't know. I don't know. I, read we, more comics we ran the gamut yeah so read more <laughs> comics everybody yeah there's and, ch- and check out the quarter bins for sure oh Even definitely that, definitely yeah um well well i'm gonna definitely have to have you on for a round two man and we'll get into some oh, more sure. comic book lore yeah um for sure uh where uh, is there some work that you'd like to plug uh that you specifically got in mind and uh, you know tell people where they can find you man uh right now i have uh the second volume of No Gods But My Own running on my sub stack. That's at ngbmo.substack.com, I think. Sounds right. If it's not, I'm, I'm Outlet Press on both Twitter and Instagram, and I have that all that stuff in my link tree. Perfect. Like, I got links on both my Twitter and my Instagram for, like, my omnibus that collects up most of the last 10 years worth of comics I did. I got, I got the disruption generator right now. All right. I got a, I got a friend who is running a deal right now for anybody that buys a disruption generator and shows him a receipt. He's doing a class on how he uses the disruption generator for uh, divination. How long is that going to be going for? Well, it's just a single class that's going until the 30th. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So anybody so, buys that before the 30th, they can get in for the class if they show them a receipt. 
Yeah, keep that in mind. Yeah, that is good stuff right there. Eric, uh, his his divination pieces are very freeform. They're very uh, impressed with his artistic stamp. And there's a, like a lot of really dope artwork in there, too. But uh, um, he he creates, you know, whether it's cards or dice or even just books of symbols, um, it's it's very versatile. And you uh, you're almost challenged in some ways to uh, by Eric himself, like even in the introductions of these things to find ways to utilize it that best suit you, and which is very much, you know, like in step completely with the whole conversation we've had. And that's why that's why I enjoy your company so much, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's so- been great. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on. And to any listeners out there, um, um, if you think that comics don't have are are not uh, scholarly enough for you, piss off. And if anyone has a, uh, if, if 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 anyone uh, is tired of feeling like uh, comics are either uh, just too cinematic these days with the uh, with the movie lore and whatnot, or uh, or just like you're tired of getting your nose snubbed at, like you're not alone. We're, we're here with you. There's uh there's plenty oh, yeah. of OG comic book fans out there and we'll probably be having more of these discussions on this show. So stay for tuned. Sure. All right. Hey, thanks so much for coming on, Eric. This has been a real yeah. pleasure. Thank you. This has been great. Yeah, right on. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget you've been listening to Black Hoodie Alchemy here on the Fringe FM. I've been here uh, chatting with Eric Millar of Outlet Press. I am Anthony Tyler, and uh, we hope you all have a good night. Take care. All right, man. You got to roll with the punches, make them lose lunches, knock them out in bunches, only going on the hunches, get them open like cavities, fighters turn casualties, lift them off their feet when the flow's anti-gravities, dispose any battling foes with bones rattling, phantoms known for anthem poems and no shattering, floor to the ceiling, any room in the building, we've been building since we children, now we villains with no feelings and we spilling, blood on the walls where we chilling and it's chilling all the blood in the halls of the buildings, y'all are gimmicks, you hear the dragons call in the village in a minute, you won't be here at all, won't be living for that image, you try to give it all but won't get it out of limits Pitch darker than the chronicles of Riddick Ramacidic The menace to society is in it Slip the Guinness and bring the pint down till it's finished Diminish the rep of all the opponents in a scrimmage Each is finished, fistle Popeyes leaving his Problematic, dealing with my problems like a drunk Buddhist average Treat a girl's dress like Timberlake pulling Janet's Have a thug and add a quit the gravel pit Consist of rock borders, also those pepper bricks Bam, bam, boogie whack, cussies receive cookies The dirty monsters rob them, I'm jobs for cookies Quick four, five, stick alive in your street movies Autobiographies don't end with the credits. We side with the Borg and exhort cybernetics. Young psychotic thugs assimilate my image. In the barber parlor, money coming like spinach. How you want me? Coming at you like Okaida, the literal willower. Left your white 13 spiders, political prisoner. White 2K, yeah, survival, impreventable. Magic could be the cure to the virus. Money becoming enlarged like elephantitis. How you check want it me? Check it on my check inside the base motel. I'm charging in your mansion, splattered on my canvas. Yells a thousand words from the souls, what my picture tells. Piggyback an angel, hit the bell. My arms are Armageddon, arms of heaven reaching hell, flipping seven to L. Got him taking your belt, I'm the diamond in the brink, shining under pressure, blood from the nose drips. Black guy feel like leather, sofa surfing on the game board, getting wavy. Babylon war, blocking the sun, shit is shady. Feel like Pac, I'm ready, wanna have my baby. Feel like Spider Man all over the web lately. Spitting ball with adultery, mean I'm the Hulk turning green. Drop the salt on your beam just to give you some flavor. I spit you out with traitors, look the universe on the verse, cause I'm the universal raider. Right? I'm his associate, and sometimes shit I say is inappropriate. But the side effects of an opiate that's got me ready for war like...